This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Progressive helps you compare direct auto rates from a variety of companies so you can find a great one, even if it's not with them. Quote today at Progressive.com to find a rate that works with your budget. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Hello and welcome to This Day in Esoteric Political History from Radiotopia. My name is Jody Avergan. This day, February 1976, the defense contractor and airline manufacturer admits to a Senate subcommittee that Lockheed had paid about $3 million in bribes to the office of the Japanese prime minister. The bribes, equivalent to about $15 million today, were often routed through shady underworld figures in Japan, all with the purpose of securing major contracts for new airliners from Japan. This is as the commercial airline industry is expanding, the Japanese economy is exploding, more and more multinational companies are getting their hands into more and more areas of business around the world. And that is ultimately what this story is about. Lockheed was not alone. This was an era of stunning multinational corruption from Gulf oil interfering in South Korean elections to Chiquita Banana bribing the Honduran government. Some of this stuff was even wrapped up in the Watergate fallout. So let's talk about the Lockheed bribe scandal and the culmination or the middle of an era in which American companies, I would say, became de facto State Department officials. So here, as always, Nicole Hammer of Vanderbilt and Kelly Carter Jackson of Wellesley. Hello there. Hello, Jody. Hey there. So yeah, I think all of us are really interested in this story as a kind of case study of a moment when all these multinational corporations are basically starting to do shady and you know interesting things around the world um but i think the lockheed story specifically let's go through that and it paints a nice little specific case study um you know lockheed is traditionally a defense contractor but in this moment and this is good important context that we've touched on the show the airline industry is expanding rapidly deregulation as we've talked about is sort of on its way for the airline industry so lockheed is transitioning here and sees big big money in the sort of manufacturing of commercial planes and sees a big, big emerging market in Japan. But they're also running into problems because everyone who is making airplanes sees a big emerging market. And so they are in the midst of some pretty heated competition. And if they don't win Mm -hmm. some big contracts, not only are they going to lose millions in hundreds of millions in U.S.-backed loans, but they also have like 400 million in private loans that if they don't get a big Mm. contract soon, they are going to default on these loans. And so they are using, let's say, every tool at their disposal in order to try (laughs) to sell these airplanes to Japan, because Japan was also looking to kind of boost both military and commercial presence when it came to planes. Um, So they did uh, what comes naturally, which is to funnel a few million dollars through the prime minister's office so that the prime minister would back uh, the Lockheed contracts. And it's like, oh, thanks for this gift. (laughs) Sure, let's work together. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't realize just how much, you know, I think of Lockheed Martin as it's definitely a household name when you think of defense, but Boeing and a lot of these other companies are coming out of the woodworks and really becoming like forceful competition for these big companies. And there's not just little money to me, man. I'm mean, talking millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, really, um, in manufacturing, you know, all of these <clears throat> commercial airplanes, but also defense airplanes as well. Um, it gets really big and complicated quickly. 
And there's a real like pay for play scandal going on here because they are laundering money through uh, this ultra right wing lobbyist in Japan, Yoshio Kadama, and he gets sixty thousand bucks every time Lockheed sells an airplane to Japan. And so there is a very clear like greasing of the palms that's happening here with Lockheed. Uh, this Kodama person, who you know, I think would be. Very generous to call him a lobbyist. Um, he's not just ultra right wing. I mean, there's talk that he has connections to the Japanese underworld. I mean, he is, you know, mm. he's got his fingers in a lot of shady pies, but also right up to the prime minister's office. And so when this testimony takes place, that it's like, oh, yeah, we gave this guy seven million dollars and he gets 60,000 bucks every time we sell a plane. This testimony comes out in the subcommittee. It makes big news in Japan. And I think that's important to point out, too, that you mm-hmm. know, it's like um, a real scandal for the Japanese prime minister's office and the Japanese government, as we'll talk about in other stories here too, like that's, you know, that's often the fallout here is the sort of like destabilization at the local level while the U.S. companies just get to kind of keep going and doing their thing. And Kelly, to your point, I mean, there is this sort of very funny, squishy language about, oh no, they were just gifts or they weren't bribes or they were just kind of like part of the overall, you know, it's the classic. Yeah, during this investigation, they said, uh, Senator Church was like, wouldn't wouldn't you call this a bribe, him getting the $60,000 in kickbacks, basically? And he's like, I would categorize it more as a gift, but you know, I'm not going to quibble with you about this. Like, you know, tomato, tomato kind of thing. But of course I am quibbling with you because a gift is not illegal. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Though, as we'll get to, there's also questions about whether these bribes were, you know, in what way these bribes were illegal and part of the fallout of this are actual laws that say, and it seems like maybe there should have been a law here, you know, you can't bribe foreign officials in this way. So, you know, this, this creates a big stir, but, I want to point out one thing that you kind of mentioned, Nikki, which is important here, that part of this story is that Lockheed had received a ton of assistance and basically Mm -hmm. guaranteed loans from the U.S. government at the start of the 70s, you know, and the Emergency Loan Guarantee Board is there. You know, this has all these echoes of current scandals uh, and current economic crises where you get these companies who are just over leveraged on the back of government taxpayer money um and mm-hmm. so i think that is often you mentioned um senator church who's the animating figure here who is the kind of liberal force behind a lot of the anti-corruption stuff that happens in the late 70s um that is where he's kind of really finding his angle is like you're playing with taxpayer money here mm. uh not just you're up to shady stuff We've mentioned now a few times Frank Church, the senator who's in charge of these committees, which most people, I think, know from what we think of as the church committee hearings, where they mm-hmm. sit down and they expose all of the wrongdoing, all of the plotting, the assassinations, the domestic spying being done by the CIA and other intelligence agencies as a way of saying, hey, the intelligence community has has gotten out of control and somebody needs to rein it in. And Mm -hmm. what gets lost in all of that is that the church committee had this other thing that they were doing, too, which is exposing not just the corruption of Lockheed, but of all of these corporations who, like the CIA, were meddling in the affairs of Mm -hmm. other countries and changing the outcomes of the governments in those countries in order to achieve their own um, political ends. Mm -hmm. Political and financial ends. Yes. One tidbit on the sort of loans that Lockheed had gotten. In the fallout of this, there's a big report about what Lockheed's up to. The Emergency Loan Guarantee Board, you know, writes a final report. You know, often it's like, oh, this company's in bad shape. 
in part because they got a bailout. Well, what's the answer? Another bailout. And to their credit, it seems like there isn't a bailout here. Like Lockheed has to pay fines. And actually, the mm-hmm. Treasury kind of walks away with $30 million in the wake of all this. And, you know, so I think they kind of hold strong because, as you were saying, there is on the back of church committee hearings, like a real a real push and a real sort of will for reining in corruption of this kind. It's still interesting that Frank Church becomes this whistleblower of sorts. But yet, people like... Kissinger are like, actually, let's not make this public. You know, mm-hmm. let's let's not take this to the streets. Let's just solve this behind closed doors because we don't want this becoming sort of a political economic disaster. We've got friends in high places and we don't want that to get muddied. Um, I think that's very interesting about like how much gets exposed to the public or how much the public would even know had not there been this sort of committee. Can't imagine why Henry Kissinger wouldn't want bad acts uncovered in public eyes. <laughs> but this points out a really kind of just awful catch-22 or sort of twisted logic at the heart of this, which is you get people like Kissinger saying, no, we can't make this public. There's representatives who say kind of, no, if we expose this meddling, it'll jeopardize our foreign policy and our relationships with, with you know important partners. So it's like, you did all this bad stuff to put us into this bind, but now we can't talk about it because it's going to make us look bad. And so then it's like, well, what do we do? And I think part of it is just the fact that just exposes kind of how enmeshed U.S. business interests and U.S. foreign policy are by this point. And to me, that's mm-hmm. the big part of the story. And I think, you know, as we start to widen the conversation here and talk about maybe some of the other scandals of the time or some of the other things that are uncovered or some of the other things we now know about what American companies are up to around the world, I think that 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 pattern is just so clear that, you know, U.S. corporate interests have been sort of enmeshed throughout the world in the same ways that, you you know, the State Department is trying to enmesh itself as well. And that they have been engaging in these practices for way longer than I think people had initially Mm -hmm. suspected. You know, this scandal came out, you know, in the 70s, but there were reports dating back to the 1950s that there were these sort of deals being made payments into the millions um, when Lockheed was sort of like suffering uh, financially. It's a high stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Tons of companies that are involved in this. I mean, Gulf Oil and Exxon are mm-hmm. doing these kinds of bribes. Chiquita Bananas doing all of these kinds of bribes and having real impacts on governments around the world. And part of it you can see is an extension of the military-industrial complex idea. But on the other hand, I mean, this is the same stuff that U.S. corporations were doing in the 19th century in the Caribbean and in Asia Mm -hmm. and in other places, right? These companies, we talked about Hawaii, um, about how basically like it's an alliance between a military and a a corporation to overthrow the government of Hawaii. So I feel like it has roots in that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Gulf oil meddling in South Korea, um, you know, there's 
there was it, a lot of this is in a run up to an election, right? And so we want to elect people who are favorable to our interests. So we're going to kind of meddle a little bit. Um, and in the in Gulf Oil bribed South Korea's Democratic Republican Party, which ended up winning this election by only 51 percent. A higher up at Chiquita Banana was asked sort of like, did you guys you know, have an effect on this election. It was so close. And he's like, well, statistically, you know, we must have, right? We spent all this money and they only won by 51%. Um, another little tidbit here. You mentioned Chiquita Banana. Um, we should do this story, but the CEO of Chiquita Banana in 1975, after these bribes are uncovered and Chiquita Banana's in lots of hot water, um, commits suicide at their at their headquarters. Mm-hmm. He smashes the wow. window out from their high-rise uh, building and um, jumps and out jumps? of it to his death. Um, oh, jeez. Eli Black. Um, so, yes, there's a lot of like stuff going down here. Mm. The other thing, and I think all of us kind of learned this as we were researching this, but, you know, Watergate specifically and, you know, the hearings about Watergate, we know when we've done episodes about how exposed government corruption and all sorts of shady mm-hmm. behavior but actually there were there was this whole sort of arm of the Watergate investigations that were about companies specifically yeah companies are giving millions in illegal donations to creep the committee to reelect the president that implicates them in this broader set of scandals around Watergate. Um, and it's it's so fascinating that in both the case of Watergate and the Church Committee, we remember the government wrongdoing, which fits in very well with a narrative mm-hmm. of don't trust the government in the 1970s. But the corporate wrongdoing, mm. there's some stories from the 1970s that stick around, but all of this that's being uncovered by Congress during this period, it doesn't have the same kind of stickiness that the government mm-hmm. wrongdoing did. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, because people hold the government to a higher standard. You know, we mm. know that with com- corporations, profit is the bottom line. But with government, there's supposed to be some ethical, moral compass there. And, or at least that sometimes the public expectation, I think. But, um, but no, you don't see that. There's this really good uh, quote, too, though, by Chen- uh, Senator Charles Percy of Illinois, where he's like, I'm convinced that the creative minds in the name of greed can concoct schemes faster than we can get legislation against them. Hmm. And I think that's such a powerful quote, because basically it's like there there were no sort of like guardrails that like kept a lot of this corruption and bribery in check so a lot of things could happen and a lot of hands could be involved and there was no way of sort of policing that in a way that would be effective because sort of you pull at one string you pull another oh well we don't want to touch this or well what about the election over here like we got to keep this table over here like there's there were so many hands in the pot how do you regulate all of that corruption well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, they do try. I mean, there is you, the, there's a lot of legislation that comes out in the 1970s that is about trying to corral or stymie or expose or do something about all of this corruption, political and economic, that's been exposed through all of these hearings. And that's when you get the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, which is legislation that, you know, you said earlier, Jody, well, maybe it wasn't illegal to bribe these foreign officials and... And the Congress was like, well, maybe then we should make it illegal. And the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act is going to create the infrastructure by which companies are, the government at least tries to hold accountable companies who are engaged in these kinds of practices um, after the 79 Act is passed. Yeah. And certainly that act has come up a lot. It came up a lot during the Trump era, you know, when we basically had a president who was building a government that was sort of completely enmeshing business interest and government interest. But yeah, Kelly, to your point, I mean, 
I think it's part of the story of the last few years. It's like when there was so much chaos, hmm. um, I don't know, frankly, I think businesses see an opportunity. They see cover, you know, to mm-hmm. behave badly or yes. just the appetite um, and the sort of capacity to just look at so many scandals at once in the, amongst the American public. You know, it just maxes out and it's like companies get to skate by, you know, and I think mm-hmm. like we could go back over the last 10 years and tell a a story about what businesses were up to (laughs) while, while, you know, the American story was focused on other things. Um, And I think it would be pretty shocking. And when there's big money involved, I mean, there's, there's no level of what people won't sort of engage in when they can cash in at, you know, millions of dollars. And I think about $60,000 a pop, like they sold a hundred planes, you know, like like that's, you know, these are, these become astronomical numbers. (laughs) Yeah. It's such a good point. Like you talk about the bribe that, 15 million dollars in today's money and it's like clearly someone did the math and said that is ultimately we think going to be worth it and so it's like yeah kind of stunning um you know one final thing just to point out it's like just to paint the picture of kind of the companies that got wrapped up into this conversation and these hearings and so forth but you know it's like alcoa general electric goodyear johnson and johnson pfizer ralph lauren smith and wesson all had their kind of turn on the carousel of corruption investigations i mean the blue chip still mm-hmm. existing mm-hmm. american brands were were part of all this um so really really fascinating um oh ibm and tyson foods too i don't want to i don't want to miss anyone i'll sneak them <laughs> in uh, all right let's They're like uh, please miss us please yeah, don't exactly, exactly. Names. <laughs> uh tyson foods off in the corner just with his hat over its eyes uh but um all right let's leave it there let's do a few also on this day so here we are february 8th 1910, February 8th, the Boy Scouts of America was incorporated. Um, We should do an episode on that for sure. There's all sorts of interesting socio-political implications of those kinds of Mm -hmm. organizations. Mm -hmm. And in 1922, President Warren G. Harding had a radio installed in the White House. We did an episode about the first uh, telephone installed in the White House. And then in 22, here we have the first radio installed in the White House. We're going to have to find that first television soon. I think so. (laughs) And in 1968, on this day, three black students were killed in a confrontation between demonstrators and highway patrolmen at South Carolina State University in Orangeburg in the wake of protest over a whites-only bowling alley. Uh, We should absolutely do an episode on this. But in the aftermath of the killings, the bowling alley and most remaining whites-only establishments in Orangeburg were desegregated. Um, Yes, and also the aftermath of this is that the policemen who were... Uh, brought to account for this are ended up being acquitted and one of the kids who's in one of the black kids who's involved in this uh, gets convicted on card on charges related to another thing but you know the sort of lack of justice fallout of this is a huge part of it Uh, as it Uh, ever was as it ever was all right well we will leave it there that brings us to the end of the episode nicole hemmer thanks to you as always thank you jody and kelly carter jackson thanks to you my pleasure went into a closed session with the top executives of Lockheed and simply asked them directly, did you make a payment? And they said yes. Well, what did the Lockheed company get for the money? Well, I believe that it was a um, to establish a uh, climate of, of goodwill and uh, a climate in which our product would receive uh, adequate exposure and hopefully we would make sales. Wouldn't you call that a bribe? I think, sir, that as my understanding of a bribe is a quid pro quo for a specific uh, item in return, and uh, I would...
categorize this more in, as a gift. It is, as you may have heard, an election year. But do you feel like you have a lot of choices? Here are the new candidates, same as the old candidates. How did we get here again? The fact is, our democracy is broken. We can all feel it, and there's data to back it up, too. A Princeton University study found that public opinion has near zero impact on what laws are passed. You know what does have an impact, though? Money. You can call it lobbying, you can call it super PAC spending, you can call it corruption. But luckily, there are things we can do right now to fix this broken system. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group that's banding together to make our democracy better. We're working with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization fighting to end corruption city by city and state by state. You can join the movement too. Go to represent.us/podcast to find out more. Radiotopia.